everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here on our 47th try to bring to you all of the times in history where we effed up. What are we talking about today, Cody? Uh, we're taking another trip back to China, but this time we're talking about China in the 20th century. Talk about the one-child policy. Oh, boy. This yeah, is something gonna be, that... This is going to be lots of fun, right? Yeah. Something that people have probably heard of but don't too, know too much about beyond... Families can only have one child. I see. And it's also kind of unique in, the, in that the effects of it aren't... We're starting to see the effects of them of it, but it won't really become apparent until the future. Mm-hmm. But based on like current projections, it will have a very massive impact. Okay. So it's kind of like we're in process Okay. of, its, of feeling its effects. But it's more than 20 years ago. Yes. Okay. It was implemented more than 20 years ago. Yep. Cool. So, Let's hear uh, about it. Background. Little, yep. Your favorite thing. Uh-huh. Uh, the People's Republic of China was proclaimed on October 1st, 1949, towards the end of the Chinese Civil War after communist victory was a near certainty. Uh, Mao Zedong, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, set about rebuilding China after decades of conflict. His goal was to modernize the country and make it a world power, but several of his policies proved to be disastrous. The Great Leap Forward started in 1958 and intended to shift China from a primarily agricultural country to an industrial one within five years, was a horribly planned and managed fiasco, leading to the deaths of between 15 and 55 million people. Yikes. After this colossal failure and seeing his power eroding because of it, Mao initiated the Cultural Revolution in 1966 as a way to cement his control over the state and society. The stated goal of this movement was to rid China of capitalist elements and traditional practices. The result at the same was, time. Do what? I said at the same time. Yes. Do, be rid of capitalism and also traditional stuff. Yeah. Robots. All of you. The result was mass persecutions and an estimated death toll between 1 and 20 million people. Oh, my God. So, basically, Mao, you know, on, on the high end, he's responsible for about 80 million deaths. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Hitler and Stalin look like lightweights. I wonder what the percentage of the total population that is. Oh, well, I mean, it's it's a significant part, but not... It, it's a large part of the population, but not, not, not like, overwhelmingly, like, 90% or something mm-hmm. like that. In terms of, like, population, China has always been like magnitudes of scale larger than anybody else really but we'll we'll get into that in a little while. Okay. Uh while initially allied with the Soviet Union, the 1960 Sino-Soviet split led to China charting its own path. In 1964, it successfully tested its first nuclear weapon and in 1970 launched its first satellite. In 1972, warming relations with the United States culminated in the famous visit of President Richard Nixon to China and meeting with Mao. Mhm. Uh, this is part of a trend in the early 1970s in which many countries began to recognize the People's Republic of China over the Republic of China, which is Taiwan, which you know, they'd only held Taiwan since the Civil War. Uh, and this resulted in Communist China taking Taiwan's place in the UN and on the Security Council. Ah, I see. So it's like, uh, you know, for 30 years, they kind of held the fiction that the Republic of China is the one true legitimate government of China, even though it only holds a tiny island. And not the entirety of the mainland. I see. So they're shifting like, okay, communist China, clearly in charge of China. The veil has been lifted. Yes. 
Mao and the CCP also supported other communist movements in Asia, including Vietnam and Cambodia. In 1976, Mao's health took a serious decline, and he died on September 9th of that year, age 82. And he was succeeded as paramount leader by Hua Guofeng. Paramount leader, it's not an official office, it's just like kind of the guy in, recognized to be in charge. Okay. There's several different political and military offices that the, that the leader holds at various times. They don't hold them for the same time, or for the like the same length of time as like when they're in charge. They hold different offices at different times. So it's like kind of like shifting constantly. So it's easy to just say, okay, this guy is the paramount leader. He's the guy in charge for this time frame. Ah, okay. So I see. It's a little bit easier now that they, the paramount leader also holds the office of president. Mm-hmm. But the office of president didn't always exist. So. I see. Hua instituted a policy known as the two whatevers. Okay. Sounds like a policy I would implement. It was based on, quote, uh, something Hua said, quote, Whatever Chairman Mao said, we will say. Whatever Chairman Mao did, we will do. End quote. Basically, just, we're going to just do and say, like, whatever Mao was going to do. Uh, as if Mao were still here. Right. We're just going to keep rolling with that. Yeah. Well, a lot of Communist Party insiders, you didn't want to oppose Mao openly because he was the founder of the country and so on and so forth. Now that he's gone, it's like they all kind of recognize, like, he was a colossal failure. failure. Mess up. Yes. He effed up a lot. We can't just keep doing what he was what he would have done. Mm-hmm. We need somebody new in charge. He so killed I, so many people. Yes. So after a little bit of uh, political maneuvering behind the scenes, Hua is ousted after a couple of years in December 1978 by our effort upper for the episode Deng Xiaoping. All right. And here is a picture of Deng. Is he still alive? No. Oh, okay. No. It, it just looked like a more modern photo. No, this is from the like late eighties, early nineties. Wow, so. so weird that we have a photo actually, rather than some crude drawing. Yes, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, a little bit about Deng. He'd been born on August twenty second, nineteen o four, in Guangan, China. Uh, he spent time in Paris in the nineteen twenties after finishing his schooling. Joined the Communist Party in nineteen twenty four and traveled to the Soviet Union afterwards to finish his education. And he returned to China in 1927 to fight against the Kuomintang, who was the Republic of China government at the time. Uh, he took part in the Long March from 1934 to 35. It was like this strategic retreat. Basically, they marched like thousands of miles like into the mountains because they were the communists were losing. Mm-hmm. So they were retreating from the Kuomintang forces. But like other communists, he fought alongside the Kuomintang against the Japanese during World War II. Okay. Uh, then as soon as the Japanese were defeated... The Kuomintang and the Communists resumed their civil war against each other. Of course, with the Communists coming out on top. I see. And Deng commanded Communist forces in the last campaign of that war. And he served in several administrative roles in the 1950s and 60s, especially after the political isolation of Mao following the Great Leap Forward, uh, and Deng took charge of economic policy. Okay. Deng was a target of the Cultural Revolution because he was seen as like, oh, well, he's one of these people who stepped who stepped into like kind of like you know push Mao aside a little bit. So as soon as Mao initiates the Cultural Revolution, well, we got to target this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Right. Don't want to upset the apple cart. Yeah, and Deng was one of those targets, and he was forced into forced to step down from a lot of his positions and sent into political exile, essentially. I see. But he returned to power in 1973 after being rehabilitated. Uh, and he was, again, a target of anti-reformers, but after Mao's death, changed everything. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have to go into exile again, and he eventually emerged as 
Paramount leader after he ousted Hua. I see. So, a little bit about Dang. And now, probably the meat of what we'll talk about was really the main topic of this episode. The population of China. Because mm-hmm. it's always been big. Right. It's, mean, a large, even, it's a huge country. Yeah, even like throughout recorded history, even going back hundreds and thousands of years, China has always had a large population. Despite numerous wars, famines, natural disasters, always has a large population. Usually, uh, historically, it's hovered between a fifth and a quarter of the world's population. Wow. Just in China. Is it still? Actually, maybe a little bit less than that now, but it's still... Yeah, there's a lot of people there. In 1950, China was estimated to have approximately 552 million people, one-fifth of the world population at the time. Lord. For context, the U.S. population now is about 330 million. Jeez. So we're not even close, and this is 70 years later. By 1982, China had passed the 1 billion mark, doubling its population since 1950, despite millions dying from famine, disease, immigration, or government persecution. Mao's belief was that population growth was the main driver of economic growth, and so the government encouraged families to have as many children as possible. Yes. However, by the 1970s, this policy began to shift as government officials began to worry about overpopulation. To this end, people were encouraged to marry later and have fewer children. Despite this, the population continued to increase in large numbers, and more drastic measures were called for. Policymakers inside the Communist Party began advocating for a limit on the number of children each couple could have. In October 1979, Deng approved a limit of one child per couple. He told a British delegation, quote, We encourage one child per couple. We give economic rewards to those who promise to give birth to only one child, end quote. Enforcement of the policy took several forms. Couples could be fined for any additional additional children born after their first. After the birth of their first child, the mother, one of two things would have to happen. The father would have to get a vasectomy, or the mother would have to have an IUD implanted. Mm-hmm. Permission had to be granted to have the IUD removed. Wow. This resulted in many women illegally having them removed. Like, not by official doctors, mm-hmm. which, of course, could result in permanent right. damage. Right. As a result, IUD inspections began taking place. Ooh. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a phrase you ever, no, ever wanted to you. hear. No, thank you. It was IUD inspection. Jesus Christ. That sounds awful. Uh, yeah. Uh, women could only have them permanently, permanently removed once they reached menopause. Mm-hmm. Of course. If a woman had a second child... She could legally be sterilized. Oh my god. Between 1980 and 2004, 324 million women received IUDs, and 108 million women were sterilized. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's a lot of people. That's almost half their population. Half their population? Yeah. No, no, no. Well, I mean, by that point, they had, they're, they're well over a billion people. So that's like... That's like Still, a though, that's like almost 500 million people. Yeah. it's a lot of people. The number of abortions skyrocketed in this time frame, so much so that the government encouraged voluntary sterilization over abortions. Oh my gosh. This led many women to seek out dangerous traditional abortions, leading to more deaths. Right. So like using like these folk medicines and... Right. Yeah, which aren't great for that. Uh, The government began providing free condoms and contraceptives at medical clinics. 
propaganda encouraging one-child limits proliferated across society, from billboards to TV ads to milk cartons, and here I have just one poster of it. And you kind of see it's just, like, encouraging, like, you know, have one child. But, like, you see it's like, oh, this whole future looks utopian. Like, you know, this mm-hmm. kid is, like, holding the representation of an atom or something. Right. And it's like, oh, this is going to be utopia because you only had one child. Yeah. I'm surprised, honestly, at the contraceptive arm of that of the plan. Yeah. I was honestly thinking that it was just going to be like, no, only have one kid. But considering that it was no longer a traditional society so there wasn't like a you know pray to only have one child type thing so i was a little surprised by that but i mean obviously it didn't didn't it wasn't entirely effective because you have people who are both seeking traditional like folk remedies for abortions but you're also probably having people who are pregnant in secret and having children in secret oh yeah certainly yeah oh yeah of course You you would have like literally secret children right and it's like they would you wouldn't register them because then the government would know you had your second child. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, some some exceptions were permitted, such as if a couple's firstborn child had developmental or physical difficulty uh, dis- or disabilities. Mm-hmm. If their first child had died, they lived in certain rural areas with low population. So they're like... So they needed you, more workers to fill the fields. Right. You, you can yeah. have your own farm hands if you want. Yeah. Or in multiple birth situations. So twins, like, you triplets. Know, like twins. Yeah, it's like... Well, we can't really help that. We're not. We're gonna be like, you know, pick one, chuck the other one aside. Right. By 1995, the birth rate had plummeted from 2.8 births per woman in 1979 to 1.5 births. Wow. Which is almost I, in half. Yeah. And here's kind of a chart of birth rate. We see like the death rate spikes during the Great Leap Forward. Yeah. And then the birth rate plummets, but like this is where the one-child policy is kind of implemented, and then way down. So they're almost at a negative population growth, which is not good. Well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that here in a moment. Okay. It's estimated that between 1979 and 2015, around 400 million births had been prevented. Wow. That's an entire United States and then some. Yeah, yeah, definitely. An unintended uh, consequence of the policy was that the gender ratio increased dramatically. In 1980, there were 105 males for every 100 females. Mm -hmm. But by 2010, there were 120 males to every 100 females. With only one child possible, many couples preferred to have a son. China was and still is deeply patriarchal. Mm -hmm. This resulted in a large number of abortions once the gender was discovered. And in the worst cases, abandonment of female babies or even infanticide. Yeah, I've heard of the um the like girl orphanages. Yes. The girl baby orphanages. Yeah. Uh, another result of the policy was the 421 problem. One person would have to care for potentially two parents and four grandparents. Right. Cuz yeah, and traditionally in their culture. Yeah, yeah like yeah, like taking like honoring the elderly is like right. a much more integral part of their culture than it is here. Right. But this resulted in elder care largely transitioning from children and grandchildren to the state. Oh. So now the state has to take on the burden of caring for these people. Right. So they're not feeding the baby mouths, but they are feeding the grandparent mouths. Yes. So they're just kind of shifting. Their assumption was, oh, well, if we have less people here, it'll be easier to feed and we'll be able to spread our economic growth more evenly among the people who are here. And now it's like, oh, we did not realize 
how many grandparents are out there yep. not being taken care of. Yep. Uh, the so-called little emperor problem developed from single child households. Oh, all of the focus of the family. The one child. It, yeah. I mean, only child. Only child syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> it has its benefits and its disadvantages. Mm, okay. Disadva- what are the benefits? Disadvantages being you have all of the expectations put upon you to succeed, and you are overpressured to do that. But you also are so. super spoiled because you're the only one getting any attention, both both attention and also your physical needs. You're the only person that they have to focus on. And that, 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 that focus can be negative and positive. But that also doesn't set you up properly for real life. No, it does not. That's not how the world works. No, it is not. You're not the center of the universe. Unfortunately. Uh, Since they... Can you tell listeners I am an only child? (laughs) Since they only expected to have one child, women were more apt to have their own careers. Okay. It's like you only have one child to take care of. It's... So you can probably be a two-income household. You don't have to be a stay-at-home mom because you don't have 50. Mm -hmm. 50 children. Talk a little bit about what happens to Dang, but then we'll kind of come back to the population thing because... A lot of this takes place after he dies. Deng began moving China away from strict Marxist and Maoist theory, bringing capitalist ideas into the Chinese economy. Uh-oh. So-called socialism with Chinese characteristics. Mao is rolling in his grave. Uh, probably. But this is kind of how this kind of sets up the modern China we see today that contrary to what it actually says, its economy is very capitalist. Mm-hmm. They may pur- purport to like, "Oh no, we're so- you're not gone." Dude, you're not communist anymore. Mm-hmm. You have billionaires. You are not communist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he continued as paramount leader until June 1989 when he stepped down in favor of Jiang Zemin and died in June 1997. Oh, okay. So, Heading into the 21st century, the future effects of the one-child policy were becoming apparent to government planners. The population growth, while controlled, was declining faster than intended. The average age of the population was steadily increasing, leading to a government that began to spend more resources on taking care of the elderly while having less young people to contribute into the society. Right. I'm going to show you something that's called a population pyramid. Okay. I'll show you the U.S. first, so you kind of get a sense of it. So basically, at the top, you have like your old, like your oldest cohorts, mm-hmm. like your in your nineties. Like obviously, gonna be less of them. It kind of fans out because there's more 80, 70 right. year olds. And typically in, like, developing countries like this, it'll just keep going, like, out like this. Mm-hmm. Typically for, like, something like the U.S., it kind of pans out and then it kind of goes down in a roughly straight line. Because mm-hmm. this tells you, like, you know, population. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, this is an example, like, an average one like the United States. Mm-hmm. This is China's. Wow. It is not that. Yeah. You see these massive, like, whoop, whoop, like, like in, out, in, out, in, out. Yeah. So... For the listeners who don't have the benefit of seeing, basically, well, they—I uh, put all these up on the well, at least right. on the Twitter page. But so. there, there are these big bands of yeah. where there's like striations in the population. So well, it looks you, like around twenty, around forty, and around sixty. I think yeah. if I can read that, there are these huge indentations where there are far, far, far less people. Well, this little dent here—that's the Great Leap Forward. Right. Because right. they had so many people die. It, yeah. Because those people are dead. Mm-hmm. They're not able to have the children that would show up here. Right. Or the grandchildren that would show up here. Right. This is about where the one child policy comes in. Mm-hmm. You have this massive dent here mm-hmm. where you have 
those all those unborn children. Mm-hmm. And since they don't exist, that's going to be grandchildren e- don't exist. Right. It's going to be even deeper. Yeah, and you also see like these these shaded areas. This is like the surplus of that gender. Ah. So you see like a massive surplus in men mm-hmm. around the time the Great Leap or not um, the One Child Policy starts. Right. Yeah. So you can kind of see like the damage. Right. Just, pff, it's like these massive chunks taken out of this population pyramid. Yeah. And like you can see like Russia's kind of the same situation, but like it because because like you can see like where okay, well this is where World War Two happened, and this is where. They weren't able to have children, so this is where they would have been. Mm-hmm. This is where their grandchildren were. So you can kind of see, like, okay, this is this famine, this is this war. You kind of point these out in these graphs like that. Mm-hmm. In order to arrest the decline, China began relaxing the one-child policy, finally replacing it with a two-child policy in 2016, a three and a three-child policy in 2021, before scrapping child limits altogether in July 2023. So just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. However, the damage was done. China experienced its first population decline in 2022 of 850,000. The first decline since the famine in 1961. You may also, like, that may also be due to COVID. Mm-hmm. But this pop- it's also included in the trend of this population mm-hmm. decline. Right. Because, like as I said, the millions of unborn children, those, f- those 400 million births that were prevented, they're not around to have their own children. Right. And if this was implemented in 1976, right? Nine. 1979. Then all of the people of childbearing age are and aging out of childbearing age are existed in a society where one child policy was a thing. Yep. So rather than having big families, although I mean I know that that's not the rule, yeah. but the the general consensus is going to be a bunch of people, both men and women, who came from families where they were the only ones. Yeah. And potentially they only want to have one kid. Yeah. Exactly. In April 2023. India surpassed China as the world's most populous country. So China's not number it's not number one anymore. Number two. Number two. Yeah. Projections indicate that by twenty fifty, China's population will be approximately one point three billion, down from one point four five billion in twenty twenty, and by twenty one hundred, it will be around seven hundred and fifty million, just over half of the twenty twenty population. Wow. This is a very chart-heavy episode. <laughs> so this is kind of like a... This is from the UN. So I think they know what they're talking about. This is like a, the uni- like the US. So you see, like, you know, this is where we are now, and it's kind of projected to level off, on a- like, on average, mm-hmm. you know, around 400 million by 2100. That's China. Ooh, boy. A lot of downward. Yeah, it looks like a mountain. Yeah, it's just yeah. right down. Wow. Now, granted, 750 million... That's still huge, a crap ton of people. Yeah, that's still like twice what we have now. Right. But especially in terms of like the modern world, modern economy, politics, the larger population countries are going to have much more of a say. Mm-hmm. Like China's, China and India are very powerful because they have the two largest populations in the world. Mm-hmm. Having like less people by twenty one hundred, China's projected to be the third largest. Whoa. Like, it's supposed to be India, then Nigeria, and then China. Nigeria? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, it, it, it's like this... It, it was almost like they tried to control the population too hard. Right. If they had done a two-child policy, might not be in this situation. Probably would have kind of 
leveled, leveled off. Yeah, because yeah. typically population trends, especially for developing countries, is like if you're a country with a high infant mortality rate, you kind of have a low, low birth rate or mm-hmm. a high birth rate, like low survival rate, whatever. Right. Once you start to become like kind of like a more industrialized or developed economy, there's this period where the system exists to where your children won't die, but mm-hmm. you still have lots of them. Right. So you have this population boom. Right. And then once it, be- it gets to like a certain point, like you're very like a very developed country, it kind of levels off. Right. Or maybe maybe even declines just a little bit, which, which is kind of like where the U.S. is. Right. India's gonna like India's still on the like on the up and up, but it's starting to level off too. But it's not gonna have like a massive decline. Like like no country's gonna have a massive decline like this. Like halving your population. Right. Even if they increase the birth rate to two children per couple, that's still they're still gonna have a loss of like two hundred million people by twenty one hundred. Wow. So which is why they're like, all right, it's like kind of like very rapidly. It's like, all right, have as many children as you want. Please have as please have as many children as you want. They really need to stop just messing with it just like stop encouraging just let people do what they're gonna do yeah and you can encourage like okay maybe you know don't have eight children (laughs) yeah it's just not necessary you know maybe encourage like hey you know uh, just societal encouragement like maybe you know two three don't but don't make it like a hardened law right you can only have this many children I wonder, too, if they had incentivized it rather than, like, made punitive measures against it, mm. if maybe that would have made a difference. Well, they did, yeah, they did have fines if you had more than one. But again, like, but also, if you're rich. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, I know this is communist trend, but, like, you know, eventually there are, the, the economy has changed to where there are rich people in China. Right. To where they can just, like, let's pay the fine. Exactly. Yeah. The law doesn't apply to rich people. <laughs> so rather than fining them or creating punitive measures yeah. for sterilization things like that maybe encouragement like yeah. tax credits or something like that mm. for keeping your family and i think too the other part of it would be a more um reasoned approach where it's more like you can have as many children as you can economically take care of mm. with a reasonable salary rather than just just only one kid for everybody yeah, because that's just not practical. Yeah, and it was it wasn't always evenly enforced. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah. rural areas, it was much more lax. Sure, but like in the cities, it was definitely like no one. That's of course, it. there could be only one child. Oh boy! And I'll conclude on this: Mao wasn't entirely incorrect in holding that people are drivers of economic growth. Coupled with a population decline, China's economy is also slowing down. After decades of constant growth, mm-hmm. yeah. If their and if their population is going to half, it would be cut in half over the next eighty years. How much of a hit is that going to be to their economy? Yep, they're going to have to figure out how to continue to support that aging population yeah. without as many young people to help bolster it with way less GDP. And also, kind of plays into like modern geopolitics a little bit like china's definitely it's not like they've always been you know friendly but things have definitely become much more aggressive over the past decade or so Mm -hmm. and it's like they kind of see like okay well we're gonna have less ability or clout to do things we want to do eventually like retake taiwan it's like they're kind of like building up like well we need to do this now type of thing Mm -hmm. before it's before we won't be able to right 
that probably plays into a little bit of their mindset now and the kind of antagonism. It was a general, like, government policy, but, like, in a authoritarian regime like this, Buck stops here with the guy in charge. Right. That's why I kind of picked Ding for this. Sources for this, John Aird, Slaughter of the Innocents from 1990, Mei Fong, One Child from 2016, K.N. Johnson, China's Hidden Children from 2017, Ezra Vogel, Deng Xiaoping and the Transformation of China from 2013, a couple of articles by Brooke Larmer and Jane Zhang from National Geographic in 2023, and Laura Silver and Chris- Christine Huang from the Pew Research Center in 2022, as well as UN statistics on population growth and projections. Podcast to recommend this week. It's called the Explorers Podcast. Uh, the, the host just goes through different exploring expeditions. It's talked about exploration of Australia, Antarctica, Cook's expeditions, all sorts of stuff. So very interesting. Go check it out. Cool. Okay, so what are we talking about next time, Cody? Well, next time is Halloween. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. We will be talking about... Dracula. Wow. Vlad the Impaler. I'm assuming that you... All right. All right, Nandor. Uh, I'm assuming you mean... Wrong vampire. (laughs) I'm assuming you mean like Vlad Sepesh, not like Dracula as in, you know, Bella Yes, the actual Dracula. (laughs) Okay. All right, well... I'm going to do the whole episode like this. Okay, but why, though? Because you know he was Romanian. I Yeah, I know that. So why would you do that voice? Because I want to. <laughs> and I can't do it the whole episode because it's making me sweat. <laughs> why is it It's make- taking effort. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> All right. Please be sure to check out our other projects, including Attack of the Final Girls, a horror movie podcast with my lovely co-host, Juliet. Imperfect Men, yet another Rexypod writing all the Founding Fathers from Andrew Adams to George Wythe. The Drunken Pawn, a YouTube channel where we play board games and drink craft beer. Hard Ticket to Sedaris, a movie podcast covering the action films of the late Andy Sedaris. For all of our projects, visit our Twitter at AOP Pod Network. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is We, we Have Up. Up.